Hello, good morning. I'm going to take you through a book called Loving What Is, excuse me, <clears throat> by Byron Katie. A book I'm very excited to talk about, very excited to share about. One of the real great classics, um, in my opinion, if you've, if you've heard of it, if you've read it, you probably agree with me. Loving What Is by Byron Katie. I'm going to get out the gate by actually not talking about her or the book. I'm going to talk about love for a minute here, just for a minute because the book's called Loving What Is, it's not called Liking What Is. And I think that's a really important distinction to make, just, just, for, just for my opening words here. I wanna set the context, because certainly in spirituality, possibly religion, there's this connotation that if we love something, we, are, we, uh, we, we think it's wonderful, we, we, we're okay with it, we don't wanna change it. And, <clears throat> that is not what that is not what is going on here. That's not that's that's not the aim here. The love that we're talking about here is being at peace with what is and moving through whatever we have to move through in order to get there. Byron Katie talks about God, she talks about God, she talks about God in terms of what is. And if something and we might want what is to be something other than what it is, but what it is is what it is. I'm going to try and explain this. Because we spend so much of our time and our lives fighting and resisting what actually is. When we can actually get into that place of accepting what is, things move, things change. I'm going to try and explain this. You know, a very dear friend of mine called me yesterday and said, in quite a state, and she said, you know, with all the horrific things going on in the world at the moment, and there's a lot. What does self-love have to do with it? Like, how can I even think about self-love when all these awful things are going on? And my response to her was, self-love has never been more important. It's never been more important, and I'll sum this up, because it puts us in a position in order to make clear and strong choices which shift and change things. All right, Byron Katie. <laughs> Byron Katie, she's gotta be in her late 70s now. She wrote this book in when she was 43, a couple of years older than me, after she had had years and years of rage, of pain. She got herself to the point that she checked herself into a halfway house and after a couple of weeks of that had an epiphany and this this body of work is what eventually came from that. What the work is, because that's what she refers to it as, I'm going to back up a minute. The work is simple. It's very simple. Uh, it gets criticized for how simplistic it is, but that betrays how very deep it is, okay? Very, very deep. I discovered this when I was going through a very tough time a couple of years ago, trying to, to understand why things were happening and so on. The work is four questions. It's four questions. Um, the first question is, is it true? The second question is, can you know for absolute certain that it is true? The third question is, how does that thought make you react? The fourth question is, who would you be without that thought? And then you turn it around. Now I've gone through that very quickly, I'm gonna explain this. That is a process called inquiry. inquiry. 
inquiry, sorry, I'm in America at the moment, inquiry. <laughs> and she came upon this because she saw how we think. She saw how we think, she sees how we have these stories about our life, about other people, about the world, the stress that it keeps us in, the anxiety, because we have our fixed interpretation of the world and we don't veer from that. Okay? And that's why we can stay in certain patterns, sorry, that's one of the reasons why we can stay in certain patterns for years, decades, and some people for their whole lifetimes. Lifetime. So she developed this thing called inquiry, uh, the work, these four questions and a turnaround to help us unravel that. And it, it's, it's really quite remarkable. I prefer listening to this book because... Almost half of it is, it's not just case studies, it's actually recordings from different um, workshops that she's given. And you get to hear people go from the very pit of pain to clearly feeling better. And, I'm not, and, and there's some deep stuff people are going through. Um, one lady, she had been widowed, discovered after her husband's passing that he had cheated on her discovered after that 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 um, all of the money he had was going to go to one of his ex-wives. You know, terrible stuff, terrible stuff, very difficult stuff. And uh, Byron Katie walks this woman through, through all of this to the point that barely 10 minutes later, both of them are laughing together. And, and it, it's quite phenomenal to listen to. Let me give you an example, okay? <laughs> I was thinking about this, what's a good example? Well, I do lots of annoying things. I have lots of annoying habits, and one of them I'm told is that when I go and fill the dishwasher, I put all the stuff in, but I don't run it. And I'm like, I don't run it because there might be more stuff to put in. So, <laughs> uh, and bear in mind I do other stuff like leave cupboard doors open and leave the fridge open and I leave the toilet seat up, okay? So it's not like the first of the list. But anyway, um, Anna was sharing with me a few, a few weeks ago that uh, the dishwasher thing bothered, bothered her. So I thought I'd just take you through um, the dishwasher thing, but from the other way around. Like if I was married to me and the dishwasher thing bothered me, this is how I would do inquiry, okay? Um, <clears throat> it really annoys me that he. It really annoys me that he fills a dishwasher, but uh, but doesn't run it. It's like he he can't finish anything, right? Um, so here we go. Number one, is it true that he, he doesn't finish anything? Yes. Can you be absolute? Can you be absolutely certain and for sure that he doesn't finish anything? No. Okay. That's usually what happens. No. Next question, how does, how, does the thought, how does the thought he doesn't finish something make you react or feel? I think it would make me feel, make me feel disrespected, like I wasn't being listened to, <clears throat> okay? And then fourth question is, who would you be, what would you be without that thought or reaction? <clears throat> now, without the thought or reaction of he doesn't finish things or he doesn't listen to me or he doesn't follow through, I would be I would be more at ease. I'd be more at ease, I would be more relaxed, um, and so on, okay? Then comes the turnaround, and we say to ourselves, I don't finish things, I don't follow through, okay? That is the example there. I know it's clinical how I've just done that. I know it's trivial, the example I've just given as well, and that's, de that's deliberate, because you think about what what irks and troubles you. We've got trivial things, 
we've got deeply traumatic things, and then we've got things that are going on in the world that we just can't get our heads around. And this process gives you the tools to get at any and all of that, because the commonality is all of the feelings about any of those things are going on right here in all of us. And that's where we have the power and that's where we have the control. That's all. You can't change something going on in another city. We don't even know what the right thing is to do half the time, do we? Um, am I selfish for going and protesting? Or am I selfish for not going and process, protesting and staying home? Who knows? It's going to be different for each person, for example. Um, I, 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 I make a point to talk about trivial things because you know, we've, we've got our own lives and that person's brother-in-law bothers you or that person's boss bothers you. Um, um, you don't have the words to say something to your daughter or whatever it is. This is, this is the stuff that our lives are, are built upon. Then we've got the trauma and then we've got the world at large. Okay, okay I want to talk about writing. If you're watching me talk about this right now, you either are familiar with the book and you've read it, or you, or you aren't and you haven't. To anyone listening to this right now, this process is basically impotent until pen to paper. If you just try and go through the questions in your mind, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. I've listened to this when I've been driving and so on, and, and a lot of my stuff stay the same until I put pen to paper. You know, there's a movie, documentary called uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, okay? And it interviews people like Bruce Springsteen and I think Michael Jackson at the time. It's about the backing singers that would, you know, go on stage in at the stadiums and, and be 20 feet away from the actual star and in the midst of all of this, but not be the actual, um, not be the actual point of interest and so and so the you know the the, the journey from the journey from your hand being in your pocket to picking up a pen that's an awfully long journey right um, even this morning I got up very early and I was a lot of stuff swirling through through my head it was a probably a good 45 minutes before I actually got into processing of my own because I always have to do that before doing something like this so that's, that, is, that is probably the most important thing I, I want to say, as important as the questions themselves, to, to actually put pen to paper. I think a lot about this. We're not short of spiritual tools. You already know enough spiritual tools without needing any more. You already do. The thing that's missing for all of us is the inclination to do something about them and, and put them into practice and apply them. And... You know, I've always said a tool is only as useful as the inclination to pick it up in the first place. And, and, and we've, <laughs> we're drowning in tools and techniques and, and someone watching this will probably say, oh yeah, but heart math does that. Or, or some of that's covered in the four agreements. Yes, yes, absolutely yes. And this is simple. I just missed a thought there, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna skip something for a minute. Why why would reading this or rereading this be a good idea for you? Well, first of all, it's very simple. 
So we're talking about four questions. Is it true? Is it really true? How does the thought make me feel? Who am I without the thought? And then you turn it round, okay? It's simple, like you can get your head around that. I recommend this because the change that happens, happens in real time. Any of the examples in, in the book, and, and I've listened to it on recording as well, happen in the span of seven to 15 minutes. Real time, real time. For myself, um, my God, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, I had like about six different things to, uh, that, that were irking me from different directions. And I could just get through all of them in about 45 minutes, which for me is really good. It's really good. It's just important because we've all got some degree of agitation going on, discomfort, all of us. Uh, you know, case in point, my friend yesterday, going through deep discomfort. Um, at the powerlessness and helplessness of all these things going on out there, and I'm not going to give voice to them right now. I, 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 I could, but I think you know what I'm talking about. The powerlessness of that. And the thing is, this gives us a way to move through it. The problem with a lot of us is we maybe touch or connect something we're deeply uncomfortable with, and then we remove ourselves from it. And we, we walk off, as it were. This gives us a route into it. When I listen to and read the testimonials and experiences and how people would feel without that thought, or without that feeling, you know a word that comes up continually is freedom. It's freedom. Because we can be, because when we think, she's got lovely lots of quotes in this, um, we can, you can either be right or you can be free. In fact, I'm going to read you some quotes from her. She's a very quotable person. That, that's right. I could either be right or I could be free. That's something she says. Uh, another thing she says is, ideally, as in ideally, they would be kind. Ideally, they, would be, they wouldn't lie. Ideally, they would be on time. Okay, this word ideally. She says, ideally is a myth because what is, is what is. They lie. They're not kind. They're they're always late. That's what is. Um, uh, uh, right now, the, the economy is in a meltdown. That's what it is. Um, no one's really sure what to do about coronavirus. That's what it is. People are very, very bent out of shape about a lot of things right now. That's what is. Um, she says, there, is on, there, only is, there is only what is, not should be. Now, this is a good one. The mind needs freedom, not a straitjacket. We get really bent out of shape about guilt, putting ourselves under pressure, feeling over-responsible, punishing ourselves, and doesn't help. Doesn't help. Uh, this is a good one. Don't be spiritual, be honest instead. Okay, so don't be spiritual, be honest instead, because um, spirituality has us sugarcoat things, toxic positivity, and stuff like that. And it doesn't help, doesn't help. Uh, putting a shit-eating grin on your face, <laughs> It doesn't change anything. It's uh, it, it just it's it's a mask which you are going to at some point have to remove. This is a good one. If you think you're enlightened, you'll love having your car towed away. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that one. Thought that was funny. Um, all right. What's there to say? It's very interesting 
reading how she is with people, listening to how she is with people. Because at first listen, her, her um, attitude with people and what they're saying, it sounds almost snarky. It sounds almost uh, uh, rude. But it's not, because what she's, what she's actually addressing is the thought, not the person. She's giving love and full attention and full presence to what is and calling it out. And, and it, can sound, it can sound blunt, but it's actually not. It's actually great love. It's actually great love being offered to, uh, to the person. I also recommend you, 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 if you haven't read it, I'm recommending it because while some of the stuff and the case studies and the examples are tough to listen to, I mean, they're really tough to listen to, um, you get to see a transition happen in real time, real painful transition happen in real time, um, difficult things going on. And, okay. Of the horrific things going on in the world, or a deep challenge you've got, a deep trauma you've got going on, when there isn't a perpetrator, what do you do? She gets to this at the end of the book. Instead of, when there isn't someone that's done something to you, instead of saying that person, you say my thinking. You call out your thinking. This is important because we've got this word reality, we've got what we think it is, and we've got what it actually is. And you probably see the same memes that I do, and apparently we have a choice about being angry, we have a choice about being peaceful, we have a choice about all of these things. You ever ask yourself, like, what does that mean? What does it mean I can choose to be angry? I don't have to choose to be angry, I am angry. Right? That's how we feel when we're angry. The choice we have is to sit down with a pen and paper and do something deadly simple like this, which literally walks us through in the span of no more than 10 minutes, something that could easily keep itself alive for 10 years. Easily keep itself alive for 10 years. Um, covered the book um, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers a couple of weeks ago, which I love. I love that book, how it uncovers these aspects and parts of ourselves. I really like it. I like the simplicity of this book. I really do. Um, I, like, I like that anyone can understand it. What this can't give you, what I can't give you, is the inclination to actually do it. I used to run into so many people a few years ago that knew this book, or they were practitioners, or they taught it, but they hadn't, they hadn't actually done it for themselves in, in, um, in, in, in a while. So that's, that's, the, that's the golden ticket, to actually do it, to actually do it. It um, strengthens you every time, it expands your capacity to love, to hold space every time. Um, I, think about, uh, I think about the work you need to do in order to do the work. Um, if you're, uh, no, I'm not going to say that. 
I think someone would have to know what you were doing before you would apply this to someone else in real time. But you know what, never mind other people for a moment. It's about you, it's about you. So, here is the invitation, if you like. Something's gonna make you uncomfortable today. Something's gonna piss you off. Mm -hmm. Something's gonna piss me off today. I know that. The invitation is, the invitation is to sit yourself down, um, take the minimum amount of time stewing over it, sit yourself down, pen and paper, the four questions and the turnaround. I have done this on politicians. I have done this on school, school shootings, okay? I've done this on very unpleasant stuff because anything outside is going on inside. Anything outside is going on inside. And I think I'll just close by saying two things she says. This process of inquiry makes it easier to stand in the truth. Why wouldn't it be easy to stand in the truth? Because this truth is very painful sometimes. The more you work on yourself, the less painful it gets. And then you can hold space for your truth and someone else's. Uh, and this is a good one. The process of inquiry, it gives rise to action that is clear, kind, and fearless, okay? It gives rise to action that is clear, kind, and fearless, which means that if I need to be getting on the streets, or if I need to be dressing up as Batman and going out at night, <laughs> if I'm in a point of alignment about that, I'll have no qualms about doing it, and I will be effective at it. So we work on ourselves first, then we go to action. Working on ourselves is love. That's loving it. It's not liking it. It's not tolerating it. It's not pretending it's something else. It's loving it. It's giving it your full attention, your full presence, and your full focus. That's what loving something is. That's what loving something is. And that's how it changes it. So, um, I hope you got something from that. Um, I I, you can tell I'm a fan of the book, uh, one of the most important ones. Uh, her life totally changed after age 43, a huge, huge uh, uh, waking up. And, it's, and over time it helped her family and just rippled out and she's, she's uh, hugely popular, hugely famous. Anyway, that is Loving What Is. I don't have a copy of it, I have it on ebook. Um, that's Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Um, greatly recommend it and I wish you a wonderful weekend uh, and a wonderful day. Mm.